This morning, I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to get there. And we've been tracking through 1 Corinthians as a series, step by step, line by line. And we believe that it's really a healthy way to go through Scripture, to understand things in context, to honor God's Word. And the result, as we've seen, is really some powerful insight into, from God's Word into our own lives and into the local expression of God's, uh, of, of the church. And uh, just believing that the Word of God has the power for life change in His Word. And uh, we believe that. Now today, when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, you guys know, many of you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is. What is it? Just shout it out. It's the love chapter, right? It's the most recognizable uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians for sure. John MacArthur, one commentator, says that some people have said that this has to be the greatest and strongest and deepest thing, talking about chapter 13, that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. There are people that call the love chapter a hymn of love, a lyrical interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes set to music. And certainly, as we will track through the, the chapter, we're going to see that it's a dramatic book and it's, or a dramatic chapter. And uh, when you look at it and you say, okay, it's the love chapter, um, my question is, who can understand love? I don't think the world has the capacity without God's help to understand love fully. I think even within the church, it is difficult at times to understand love. And we would all agree, yes, love is important, but we struggle with it. And we don't always fully understand it. So for the next few weeks uh, in 1 Corinthians here, we're going to try to bring some understanding around the idea of love. Now, unfortunately, 1 Corinthians many times, and you've seen this, I've seen this, is taken out of context and is studied just by itself. And that's okay, there's some value in that, but I've given the assignment over the last uh, season here to read chapter 12, 13, and 14 together because it's embedded, the love chapter is embedded in a discussion about spiritual gifts. And when we understand that, and we'll see it this morning, there's a fullness, a depth that kind of comes. And really, I think the real power is seen when we get the full picture, 12, 13, and 14, together. So let me remind you what chapter 12 was about. If you weren't here with us, um, you can look at it, read it at, on your own. But it really talks about spiritual gifts, the empowerment of the gifts, receiving the gifts within the body, within the church, and how it, the gifts functions. We said that it was distributed by the Holy Spirit. And uh, John Taylor, uh, one of our board members, uh, kind of finished up chapter 12 a couple weeks ago, did a great job. But we see when it came to spiritual gifts, there were some abuses, there was some rivalry, there was some pride, there was some division that was caused because of the discussion of spiritual gifts all around this idea of spiritual gifts. In fact, turn with me, you're already there, chapter 13, but let's look back at um, verse, or chapter 12 just for a second and read. It says, Now you are the body of Christ, chapter 12, verse 27, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, let's just pause there for a second. I didn't get the chance to preach this section, but I want you to look around, all right? Look around, and I know it's uncomfortable to look behind you, but I'm going to give you permission, all right? Just to turn around, kind of look around. If you're in the back, it's easy. You can look at everybody's back of the heads, but look at all these smiling faces. Now, the people that are in this room, 
You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. If you are a Christ follower, you're a part of the church, the big church. Now, this is the local expression of the church. We understand that. And it says each one of you, that's every single one of you here is a part of it. And in the church, God appointed first the apostles, second prophets, then teachers, workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, able to help others, and those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all prophets, or apostles, I'm sorry? No, right? That, the, it's implied, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. And, I wanted, and then it follows up, do all interpret? Tongues interpretation, talking about the corporate uh, gift of tongues interpretation working together. But then verse 31 says, but now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And we've said along this series, in, especially if looking at chapter 12, the greater gifts are the ones that are given at a certain time, at a certain place, for God to receive glory, to illuminate himself in someone's life. But the problem was, in the Corinthians' day, is that they were coveting some, uh, some gifts above other gifts. There was envy. And sometimes they would even lord the gifts over other people. They would say, hey, look at me, I'm speaking in tongues. Or look at me, I am a prophesying. Or I'm a teacher or whatever. And then they would look at some of the other gifts, maybe that are more behind the scenes, and they're saying, you are less of in spirituality. And that was a problem. And so he's saying, look, we want to highlight we seek the, the, the greater gifts, and again, the greater gifts are the ones that God has given you at a sp specific time, a specific place. Fast forward to chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 14, and we're going to see, in a few weeks, the proper exercise of the gifts, looking at three in particular, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, and you won't want to miss that. It'll be awesome. But right in the middle of 12 and 14 is chapter 13. And look what it says, kind of leading up. And it says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. What in the world does that mean? The more excellent way, better than lording it over someone, using spiritual gifts, speaking gifts, or the teaching gifts, more than being proud, a more excellent way, the most excellent way is to love. Now, the history here in Corinthians is that they had the spiritual gifts at work. We see that in chapter 1. It said that they were abounding in gifts. They didn't lack any of the spiritual gifts. There was a lot of activity going on. But the Corinthians had missed the love part, and it certainly was not being done with excellence. And in church, we're going to see that without love, it was a counterfeit um, counterfeit situation, selfish, self-seeking. And what happened is the people were being used in spiritual ways, but they were operating in the flesh in many ways. So chapter 13, it kind of sums up the more excellent, the most excellent way. It's not pride or envy or jealousy or struggle. It's only love. And we want to get our hands around what does it mean for a church to love in this way? And I would say, for us, a Spirit-filled church, that means that we embrace the gifts of the Spirit here at the Gateway Church, that love is the basis for spiritual life. It, the proof 
is not spiritual gifts. That's really important to get our minds around. You can have and operate in the spiritual gifts, in the spiritual realm, and not have the fruit of the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. You guys are, know this, uh, or some of you may know this. Galatians chapter 5, it kind of lists the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what we're saying is that it's possible to have the gifts of the Spirit at work without the fruit of the Spirit being evident. If you don't have the fruit and you're operating in spiritual gifts, church, can I be as bold to say that you are operating in the flesh? You say, oh, well, I prayed for someone and they were healed. God worked through me in that way. Well, if you didn't have love, you're a zero. Or you say, man, I, you know, working of miracles, you know, they are following my life. If you don't have love, you're a zero. If you can preach to the multitudes, preach to millions, and don't have love, you are a big zero in God's eyes. See, all the gifts and all the activity of the Holy Spirit means nothing without the fruit, which is love. Love has to be the driving force. It has to be the motive behind what we do. And having spiritual gifts does not make you spiritual. And that might be a shock for some, but I believe that when we look at these verses, um, especially this morning, um, and everyone, I want you to stand with me. We're going to read God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the back, or you can follow along on the screen, I guess. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's start in verse 1 to honor God's Word. Look what it says. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Those last three words, I gain nothing. Let's say those together. I gain nothing nothing and let's pray lord your word is really clear it's really powerful i pray that you would help us to grow in your understanding this morning and god i pray that you just be glorified in what's said use me as a mouthpiece and uh, and lord and really in a prophetic way and we'll talk about that but god speak to our hearts today for your glory for your honor in jesus name and everyone said amen you can be seated what does love mean In the English language, we, in the same day, could say, I love my car, I love my job, I love my dog, I love my hobby, I love my wife, or I like the outfit that I'm wearing, right? And that word love means different things, right? Hopefully, we don't love the outfit that we're wearing as much as we love our wives, right, if if we got a wife. Or hopefully we don't love, you know, our, well, I mean, you you get the picture. In the English language, the word love is used in so many ways that it can get distorted. Well, in the Greek, that wasn't necessarily the case. There were multiple words that would describe love. Three that were common, you've probably heard them, phileo, eros, and uh, agape, agape love. 
Now, the kind of love that is described here in 1 Corinthians is agape love. Now, some people call it uh, agape, but I looked it up, or I actually talked with a friend of mine, and, and it is agape love, all right? So you can say agape with confidence, um, and uh, that's how you say it. But agape love is the highest level of love that there is. It is supreme, and it's always associated with God. Now, I want to talk about what agape love is not for a moment. It is not a romantic or sensual or sexual love. When in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, when it talks about husbands love your wives, right? That word is agape. It is not love your wives in a, uh, in a romantic fashion. Although I think we should do that, and I think there's proof for that. But it's interesting, the word eros, or, the, or erotic, or, you know, or uh, that kind of love, um, is never used in the New Testament. Uh, very interesting. Only phileo and agape. Now, it is, agape love is not an emotional or sensational or sentimental love either. It's not a friendly or brotherly love, which is that phileo love. And uh, agape love is a love that does not overlook the truth. Let me explain what that means. Some people would say, oh, well, I can, you know, hang out with or I can, you know, be joined with uh, people that believe different things. And even if I don't believe it's true or it doesn't line up with God's word, we can still love each other, right? And love covers, you know, and, and you know, people would say that. Well, no, we, love will highlight truth and it actually sometimes will separate. And it's very interesting, agape, a true love, a deep, godly love. The last thing I want to say is agape love is not the same as charity. Some of you in your uh, Bibles, if you have the King James Version, for example, talks about love and it uses the word charity instead of love. And really, it's, mis, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't believe it's the best representation because agape is not about giving charity, giving to your favorite charity or giving money. And uh, it kind of begs the question, well, what is agape love? What is love? And I really like what one commentator did. He, as he studied this, as we looked at this, and I was studying this week, he really took us to the book of John, the Apostle John, and his ideas of love really were the most magnificent compared to the other uh, four Gospels. And so I want to turn, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably the most memorized verse in the Bible, right? And what John, as he's talking about love, he says in John 3.16, he says, For God so loved. That word there is agape. For God so loved. Agape. Not a romantic. He didn't have romantic feelings for us. or It wasn't a friendly or brotherly love. It was a deep, sacrificial love. And we'll see that in a second. That he gave. He so agape. He so loved that he gave. He didn't just give to the United Way or give to his favorite charity, right? He gave his one and only son a deep act of sacrifice. And he gave his one and son, only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know the verse. You've memorized it in a, one version or another, right? What I see there, what we can see there, is that love is an act of self-sacrifice. And there's two terms there that are important. The first is an act. No, there's no such thing as agape love without action. There's always action. And agape is this biblical love in action. You say, well, is there feelings that come with agape? Sometimes, yes. 
but sometimes not. It doesn't, there, there are different ways, but there's always, always, always a sacrifice. So there's an action, and then there's a sacrifice in the mix. Turn with me to John chapter 13, a great story that kind of describes God's love for us. This is the story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Let's look at verse 1 in chapter 13 of John. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time would, uh, had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. And then look what it says. It says, having loved his own loved agape his own who were who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love the full extent of his agape the action the sacrifice the service in this context and in verse 4 and 5 we see that jesus he gets up from the meal he takes off his outer clothes wraps a towel around his waist begins to pour the water into the basin and he's doing this in front of the disciples and what's interesting in luke's account it it shares in that context that the disciples were talking about who's the greatest among us they're talking about how to be great and jesus demonstrates greatness in their midst and he does what the lowest among them was supposed to do but no one would because they were in this debate and he says look I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to serve you in this way. And look at verse 14. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another, one another's feet to love one another. Verse 34, in the same context, look, it says, A new command I give you, love, agape, an act of service. Love one another as I have loved, agape, you. So you must agape one another. Powerful, powerful set of scriptures there. In John chapter 15, we see it continues in verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved, agape, me, so I have loved you, an act of sacrifice. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Fast forward to verse 17. This is my command, love, agape, one another. What we see here is that there's this love towards God, and it's an act of self-sacrifice. It's not my will, God, but your will be done. And so where the rubber meets the road with this, and in the context here, I want to challenge us that if we're living in habitual or willing immorality, or in blatant sin, or in substance abuse, or if maybe you're a liar or a thief, or maybe you're greedy or unkind or hot-tempered, and you say, oh, that's just the way I am. That's just my temperament, right? Or if you don't love your wife, or if you don't honor your parents, students, or children that are here, but you come in and you say, well, I love God, but you don't do these other things, you need to stop that. Because, listen, the way I understand Scripture, it says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Wow pretty crazy and at best it's an immature love if you're caught up in some of those things and you'd still say oh well i love god and we want to take you to a deeper more mature love not to have different ranks but how many want to know god to the deepest and fullest extent i know i do 
And we want to do that, and it comes through love. And love towards God is sacrificial. Again, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. One other verse, same author, but 1 John chapter 4, towards the end of the Bible, you go to Revelation, you back it up, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. But 1 John chapter 4, look what it says, talking about God's love again, starting in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love agape one another, and love comes from God, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love or give sacrificially um, an act of sacrifice does not know God because God is love. Everyone say that. God is love. Amen. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, verse 11, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So when we get a hold of this idea of agape love, it's a loving God, yes, but it's also loving those around us. God's love is an act of self-sacrifice, and so should our love be. Now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verses 1 through 3 here, Paul is calling the Christian, the Corinthian leaders there to love. I believe in our context that Paul is using through Scripture, he's calling us, the Gateway Church, and us individually to love and if, we, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of plaque is on your wall and uh, describing something that you've done. It doesn't matter if someone gives you a standing ovation and uh, praises you. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you've given. It doesn't matter at your funeral. You could fill the Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids three times over. If you don't have love, you're a zero in God's eye. And that's hard to say, isn't it? You think, boy, you know, boy, that's pretty, pretty tough. But Paul here, he uses himself as an example in these three verses, and he gives six examples, six different things that without love were nothing. And the first one is this, tongues without love is nothing. And there's two distinctions here. There's tongues, the rhetoric, the speech. He's saying, look, look, if you can communicate, if you can stand before people, and uh, that was highly revered in that culture, if you could debate or if you could you know, uh, you know, tell your story, um, that was highly exalted in that culture. And certainly that's part of it. But he also says tongues of angels. You say, well, what's that about, right? Well, he's talking about speaking in tongues. And there was uh, people that believed that, that when you spoke in tongues, and especially in a prayer language, um, that it was a fast, that it was you're speaking in tongues of, of angels. And there was a fascination with angels in that culture. In fact, so much, they knew that angels didn't marry. And so uh, if they began to use the spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues, or if it was tongues, interpretation of tongues, they're saying, hey, if this is the case, we're like the angels. Maybe we should divorce our marriage partner and we talked about that in chapter six remember that um, back at the beginning of the summer and uh and paul saying whoa, whoa, whoa put the brakes on no that's not what we're saying but there was this idea of angels but he says look you can talk and you could be had the best speech or you could even talk in tongues and ha- speak in tongues of angels if you don't have love he says you are a clanging cymbal or a gong now you say Okay, I've read this so many times. You've probably read this. Many of you have. 
saying, well, what is that about? Well, when I dug into that, it's very interesting. The, the answer there, the Corinthians would have understood that there were pagan religions, false gods, that, would, that they would kind of pray this ecstatic language, a speaking in tongue of sort, while listening to clanging cymbals, smashing gongs, and blaring trumpets in that culture. And what Paul is saying is that when you operate in the spiritual gifts, and maybe in tongues in, uh, in this in particular, no matter how good you are, if love is not the motive that's driving that, you are no better than a pagan practice. And I, I saw that, I'm saying, wow, there's a lot of truth there. And I look at verse 1, and some people, they really ride on verse 1, and they, they, they use it as a case that tongues is not for today, or that we shouldn't be speaking in tongues, and, and I totally disagree. In fact, I believe you could put any spiritual gifts in verse 1. It fits there. You say, boy, if, you, if love is not the motivation behind it, you're a zero. You say, well, how would anyone know? You know, I can do something, no one will know. Well, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we studied this way back at the beginning of the year. There's going to be a day where we'll be on the Bama seat, the judgment seat, where every motive, every action will be, be revealed. The true nature of our act will be shown for everyone to see. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, look at this. This is really scary. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We talked about being obedient, that love is a sacrifice. And how do we love? We, are, we obey the commands of God, right? But look at this, verse 22. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name a spiritual gift, Right? And in your name, we drove out demons. They were used maybe in the dis discerning of spirits or to cast out demons. And we performed miracles, another spiritual gift. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. You put that into context in the 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul's saying, look, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That's what Jesus said. And without love, you are a clang. You are a gong. You are, you are dishonoring to God. Love must be the motivator behind that. The second thing he talks about is prophecy. That prophecy without love is nothing. And in chapter 14, when we get there, we'll see that prophecy is described as the greatest gift. And what some people say, well, what is prophecy? Well, a simple definition, it's a proclamation of God's truth. And some people say, well, we see the prophetic at work, the, you know, the worship you know, kind of gets uh, quiet, there's a lull in the service, and then someone speaks out, and that's a prophetic move, and God's moving. And I'd say, yes, and we embrace that. We, we encourage that. But often, people miss that there's the prophetic at work week in and week out, primarily through the preaching of God's word, through the foolishness of preaching. How many have ever been in a situation, and hopefully if you've been here a while, you felt this, you're listening to someone speak or you're listening to the preaching of God's word and you're aware at that moment that God is speaking to the church in a manner of truth. 
proclaiming God's truth. That's the prophetic at work. And the preachers, some understand that, some don't. I believe that we work as uh, as a pastor, as an orator, in the prophetic week in and week out. And I think that's an important distinction. But Paul is saying here, you could bring heaven to earth. You could bring prophetic words, proclaiming God's truth, but without love, you are nothing. Paul is saying you could fathom all these mysteries, you could fast and pray, you could be used in powerful ways. It's possible to be powerful in the Spirit, but not to have the character of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, which is ultimately love. The third one is knowledge. The knowledge without love is nothing. You can see it there. Knowledge in that culture was highly, highly valued. Uh, it, and to them, the more they knew, the better they were. But Paul's saying, look, you, if you had all knowledge, you knew everything about the universe, the galaxy, the stars, the grains of sand, you could count them, whatever. If you don't have love, you are absolutely nothing. Turn back with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Very interesting verse here. Um, it, we studied this a few weeks back, and it's talking in this context about food sacrifice to idols. Remember that conversation? And the, the Corinthian leaders, they had some knowledge that was correct. They were totally right. They, their knowledge was, was uh, biblical, and they had a right understanding about food sacrifice to idols, that idols are nothing, and we talked about that, right? But he says, look, we know that we possess all knowledge. But then Paul says, knowledge puffs up but love builds up the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought ought to know but the man who loves god is known by by god i want to pause here just for a second because i think that when we look at this and kind of apply that and really look at our church compared to maybe other churches you know we're an assemblies of god church we love we love the Lord, We've, we want to honor God's word, but we also look at scripture and we believe that God is the same yesterday as he is today, as he is forever. And in regards to spiritual gifts, we believe that if there were spiritual gifts active in the early church, they need to be active in our church. And we embrace that and we, we encourage that. But what happens sometimes is sometimes, and I, I don't think so much here, but there are times people say, oh, well, you know, we embrace these gifts or we, we, we speak in tongues. But listen, church, we can have that gift and we can embrace the gifts, but if we don't have love, we're absolutely nothing, okay? And that's important for us to realize. On the other side, there are some other denominations, and I could probably name one and maybe one's coming to your mind, but they are full of knowledge and they preach the word right on and they can exegete scripture way better than I could. And they, but what happens is that knowledge puffs them up there's a pride that comes with that and the same is true that if they don't have love they're nothing both are zeros without love and i believe there's room for interpretation and i understand that at some point in eternity we'll get it all clear and we but we can love each other in the midst and knowledge without love is nothing the fourth is this faith without love is nothing and it's not talking about saving faith here. It's talking about the gift of faith, a supernatural faith that in crisis you believe for something incredible or it's an attitude that God will do it. It's a faith, a releasing of God's power. But you can have all of those things at work without love. 
it's worth nothing. So you can never doubt, or if you never questioned, you were solid as a rock. If nothing was impossible for you, you never were shocked or never wavered, never questioned God. If you didn't have love, even though you could do all those other things, you're nothing. John MacArthur, I love what he says. He says, so the sum of it all is it doesn't matter what gifts you have. How many would agree? It's how God uh, determines those for us. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you believe. You could be a celebrated Christian, theologian, missionary, pastor, teacher, author, scholar, and if you don't have the agape of God as the driving force in your life, John MacArthur says, you're nothing. And he's saying that out of the authority of Scripture. God is saying, you're nothing. He says, that is pretty simple. Bottom line, check your motive. And this morning, I believe that's what we, a big takeaway saying, all right, we need to check our motives here. The fifth one is this, benevolence. Benevolence without love is nothing. It says there, if I give all I possess to the poor. And what's interesting, we said that love is always self-sacrificing. And some people don't realize that you can be self-sacrificing, but not necessarily love not necessarily be doing it out of love. There's a lot of people that live in sacrifice. They give without love. You say, well, why would someone do that? Well, there's a lot of good reasons. Because it makes you feel good when you give, even if it's not motivated by love, or to soothe your conscience, or it might be a pride thing, or maybe an out of obligation, or legalism, or maybe there's a fear, or a self-righteousness. There's all kinds of wrong motives why people would give. But Paul's saying here, you could do, you could give it all away. If you took everything you have and gave it away, that's what the, in the Greek it means. Without love, you're a zero. And what I want us to know that in Missions Month, you say, well, what would motivate someone to give to the Seven Project? Well, it, sometimes it could be you feel obligated, or maybe there's a pride, hey, I gave to the Seven Project. Or there, maybe there's some legalism. You say, boy, I'm part of the church. Maybe I should give. Listen, we don't want to twist your arms. The only motive for giving should be love. Love for the students, love for the kingdom of God on the lakeshore. And that relates to all of our giving. Let me just take a quick uh, sidebar. I'll do this in one minute, hopefully. Listen, when it comes to tithes and offerings, you say, well, you know, why would someone give 10% of their income um, to, to the Lord? It's because of love. Love for God. And it's an obedience to what God has told us to do. The only motivating forgiving of your tithes should be love. And if it's not, you need to reassess and come back and say, okay, do I love God? If I love God, I'll do this. Same thing with missions. We're going to be talking about missions and talking about faith promises and talking about, you know, the Samaritan's Purse. We're talking about the Seven Project today and next Sunday. All these things, and we're talking about supporting missions on a regular basis. What is the motivation for that? A good feeling? Or soothing our conscience? I hope not. Or fear, like, oh, if I don't do it? No, it should be love. Love is what should motivate our giving. The last one he talks about, he says, if I am burned in the flames, if you were martyred but did it without love, you're nothing. You could die a martyrous death, have this notoriety for a rebel cause, whatever the case, without love, you are nothing, the Bible says. The bottom line, I love what John Lindell, he kind of captures this. He says, life without love, I'm sorry, life minus love equals 
zero. You might want to write that in the margins of your Bible. I'm not sure. But the truth of that is really profound. Life, whatever we do, if there's lack of love, it equals zero. Church, agape love is always sacrificial for the benefit of the person receiving, for the object. The ultimate description of mature Christianity is love. And my heart for you, my heart for myself, is that we would understand that and we would grow in our love for God. We grow in our love for each other. See, Paul here is saying to the Corinthians, if you want to know what real maturity is, he's saying it's not spiritual gifts in this context. It's not the showy gifts. It is love. And sometimes that love is seen for others to see. Sometimes it's behind the scenes where no one else even knows what happened. But the motive is very interesting. John MacArthur said, check your motives. In Proverbs, it says that we cannot understand even our own motives, our own motivation to do things. Only God can judge the motives of our heart. You say, well, what do you do with that? Well, we need to be careful. We need to assess and we need to seek God's insight saying, okay, why do I give? Or why do I serve? Or why am I using these spiritual gifts? Is it motivated by love? The big issue is that there was these opposing views of spirituality. The Corinthian leaders thought, hey, we've got these spiritual gifts going. Look at us. And Paul's saying, no, it really, uh, the level of your love determines your spirituality. And he says this, and Gordon Fee, I think, summarizes very well, a, a good Pentecostal um, commentator. He says this, he says, he says, they spoke in tongues to be sure uh, in the Corinthian church. And Paul will not question that as a legitimate activity of the Spirit, which I believe that Paul is not denying that. In fact, he encourages that a little later. But at the same time, as they had this spirituality going on, okay, they also tolerated or endorsed illicit sexuality, greed, and idolatry. We saw that in chapter 5, 6, and 8. They spout wisdom and knowledge, right? But in the former, they stand boldly against Paul and his gospel of the crucified Messiah. So there's division. In the latter, they were willing to build up a brother only by destroying him in chapter 8. And in short, and this is really, really interesting, and I think it really summarizes it well, in short, the Corinthians, they had a spirituality that had religious trappings to it. In other words, there were spiritual gifts, knowledge, tongues, all these things, but had abandoned rather totally the genuine Christian ethics with its supremacy of love. They'd walked away from what was most important. In church, what I want you to know this morning is it's love is what builds up the body of Christ. Our love for God, our love for each other is what will continue to give us strength and vitality here at the Gateway Church and for the church at large, the kingdom of God. You will know they're Christians, what? By their love, right? And this morning, we need to seek and to search our own hearts. And I know 
that when we talk about love, there's people that have been hurt. I, I, I'm not going to take the time. I've shared my story before. There have been moments in my life where I did not love properly, and, uh, and the Lord convicted me, and I've apologized even to you guys, to the congregation. But sometimes you have maybe have felt that you're, you're doing things out of obligation or pressure. And God is saying, no. Look at my example. God is love. It's an act of sacrifice. And follow my example. And boy, the challenge of that is going to challenge us over the next several weeks when we talk about love. But I want to pray that this week that we would get our minds around our motives. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this, this morning. And I want you just to, just to think about your own life for a moment. And we know that pride puffs up and envy is no good. And, and so we need to look at our heart and say, God, help us to discern what is behind, what is motivating me to serve, to give, to be used in spiritual gifts. And if it's not the love for God or the love of others, it's of the flesh. And it's hard to determine that, I understand. But I believe God can help us to move into an understanding. And this morning, I pray that God would help us to discern, to be aware this week in our interactions with, and in our homes, with our kids, with our spouse, with our loved ones, in our neighborhoods, at school, in our workplaces, at the club, that we would be aware of how we're responding, how we're acting, how we're sacrificing, and then we would understand the motive behind that. And it needs to be love. Without love, we're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And so this morning, God, I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would understand your word, that it would be written on our hearts, and God, that we'd leave here with a challenge beyond belief that you would help us to grow in these areas. Lord, I pray it for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. Now, with everyone's head, continue to be bowed and eyes closed. We read the scripture, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. The truth of that word, or that, that verse, is alive and well in this moment for you. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Him. The Bible says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you, cleansing you from all unrighteousness. That means He takes away your sin. He takes it as far as the east is from the west. He separates it, and then He looks at you as if you were righteous. You don't deserve it, but it's what God has planned from the beginning of time. His plan for you was for you to live your life for Him, to love Him, and then to love others. And if you're here this morning and you're not loving God, if you don't have a relationship with God, please don't leave this room without accepting Jesus. And, and I just ask, if you're here in that circumstance and you're saying, boy, I need Jesus, um, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. 
But who this morning would say, that's where I am. I don't, I'm living my life motivated by something other than love. I, I don't have Jesus at the center of my life. Is there anyone here? Just raise your hand. Won't embarrass you, won't even call you out, but I want to pray with you. I want to give you some resources. Anyone at all? Let me just take another moment. Lord, thank you, God, that you, you're the one that God reveals our sin. And Lord, you're, you can reveal yourself in this moment to those who are lost and who need to respond. God, I just pray that you do that. Just one more quick moment. If, you, if that's where you are today, God would, God's prompting in your heart. Would you just surrender? Would you raise your hand? And I want to pray with you. All right. All right, no hands, and that's okay. I want all your eyes on me for a moment, okay? In fact, I want you to stand, all right, as we get ready to close. I know I've gone a little longer than normal, but it was a big topic to kind of get our, our arms around, right? This morning, as we leave here, my heart for you, as I prayed, is that you would begin to discern perhaps more than you've ever discerned in your life your love for others, your love for God. What's motivating you in your job, in your interactions at home, in every area of your life? What John Lindell said, life minus love equals zero. And none of us want to be in that situation. But we need to realize where we are and say, God, help us to grow. Because when our love grows, that's the true sign of spiritual maturity. And how many just by show of hands would say, boy, I want to grow. I want to know God more. I want to be spiritually mature. Okay? Hopefully most of us, right? If that's the case, we need to be aware of how love is working in our lives. Lord, I pray as we go now that you just go before us, behind us, and all around us. You would reveal these things for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen and amen. We love you very much. Go in the grace of God.